0: For almost three centuries, Sotheby's has been the place to discover the greatest stories of creativity. We've been the temporary custodians of some of the world's finest treasures, which you can see on display in our galleries on any given day. Welcome to Sotheby's Talks, the podcast that celebrates art, culture, and collecting. I'm Marina Ruiz-Colomer, and I want to invite you inside the world of Sotheby's, a place where you can find the extraordinary including contemporary art, old master paintings, rare books, jewellery, and memorabilia. I am a specialist in Sotheby's contemporary department and throughout my career I have championed the work of female artists. In 2021, I co-organized the first cross-category sale of work by women at Sotheby's. In the last few years, we have seen the demand for work by female artists increase dramatically, but there is still work to be done so on this podcast we're sharing some of the conversations we've been holding with our experts along with tastemakers collectors and luminaries from the world of art and culture In this episode, art historian Katie Hessel is joined by former National Gallery London curator Letitia Treves and Sotheby's Eduardo Roberti for a conversation about the pioneering 17th century artist Artemisia Gentileschi whose work, in which she painted subjects that were traditionally the preserve of male artists and intended for the male gaze, has inspired some of the greatest female artists of our time. This podcast was originally recorded to celebrate the opening of the National Gallery's exhibition Artemisia, which ran from October 2020 to January 2021 and was sponsored by Sotheby's. Here's Katie with more.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to this very special event. My name is Katie Hessel, I'm an art historian and I run the Great Women Artists Instagram and podcast. And tonight, I am delighted to say that we are focusing on Artemisia Gentileschi, the most acclaimed woman artist of the Italian Baroque period, While Artemisia's paintings were much admired during her lifetime, like many of her contemporaries, she was overlooked in later centuries. And it is only since the 1970s that she has been rediscovered and become the focus of scholarly research, as well as of biographies, gender-focused university courses, and television documentaries, films and plays, among others. I'm really looking forward to discussing this extraordinary artist and setting her within the context of her own times and exploring resonances with women artists of the 20th and 21st centuries. Joining me tonight are Letizia Treves, the Sassoon Curator of Later Italian Painting at the National Gallery here in London. She is also the curator of the gallery's exhibition, Artemisia, the first ever to be held on her in the UK. And of course, Eduardo Roberti, the Senior Director at Sotheby's in London and a specialist in the Old Masters Painting Department. So I'd love to start off this discussion by asking why does Artemisia Gentileschi stand out among the 17th century old masters? Letizia, let's start with you.
2: Well, I think she's simply the most celebrated female painter of the 17th century, and she's also one of the most significant artists of the Italian Baroque. Absolutely. Eduardo, why does she stand out for you?
3: Uh, I, I don't have too much to add to what, what Letty said. She's an extremely beautiful painter, let's not forget, and quite apart from the the impact she has had and continues to have on uh, the role of female painters. She's an extremely innovative painter in her own right, irrespective of gender.
1: Absolutely. Letizia, tell us a bit about how the Artemisia exhibition at the National
2: Gallery came together. Sure, well the idea really came from our acquisition in summer 2018 of our first painting uh, by Artemisia. Uh, it's a self-portrait of St. Catherine of Alexandria, and the picture was just discovered in 2017. We bought it the following year and it underwent a conservation treatment. And it, it's actually a treatment that we recorded through a series of short films that we put out through social media. So basically, the public could follow in almost real time the conservation of the picture. And we got a real sense of the kind of mounting excitement um, internationally about this picture And we decided quite soon after its acquisition that we really wanted to put on a show of her work. And it's really the first one in the UK. And for me, I have to say, it's been absolutely thrilling to see this picture, which, as I say, is quite a new discovery, for the first time hanging alongside other paintings by Artemisia in the exhibition. And she's on this incredible wall lineup of self-portraits. And for me, that's been a real thrill and of course, there have been an increasing number of exhibitions in, in recent times in the last sort of 20 years or so. But I think in my show, I really the aim was not to sort of include every painting by Artemisia. I, I set out with a very clear purpose to really have sort of 30 of her best, uh, firmly documented and attributed works that really form the core of the exhibition. And the exhibition is broadly chronological. And really through these works, really explain in as clear a way as possible her sort of artistic trajectory. And the other key thing that I wanted to bring in was was Artemisa's personality. And so you really get a sense of her as a woman, as an artist, and really get to hear her voice, both through her letters and also the transcript of the trial, which I'll talk about in a moment. So I think it's that more sort of rounded picture of Artemisa that really comes out.
1: Absolutely. Well, you've done such a brilliant job. Letizia, can you tell us about Artemisia's life and work and your vision for the exhibition in particular?
2: So you really begin in Rome, where she's born at the end of the 16th century, and she's trained by her father, Orazio Gentilescu, who's also a painter. She's trained alongside her brothers. And the very first picture we know by Artemisia is the picture that you encounter as you walk into the first room. It's the Susanna and the Elders. And it's so impactful and it's signed and dated. So we know she painted this when she was 16 or 17. I mean, it is absolutely astonishing that someone so young can paint something so accomplished. And so in this room, I wanted to sort of set the scene, but I also wanted to sort of hit people as soon as they walked through the doors of just how precocious her talent was. Um, And there's a picture also by Orazio in this room because Orazio was her father, her teacher And also give a sense that Artemisia, unlike other male artists in her time, she wasn't able to sort of study the artworks on display around Rome. She was shut away at home, being an unmarried woman. And she really, you know, was exposed merely to to her father's art, principally to her father's art. Um, Also in this room, alongside the Susanna, is um, a remarkable object. It is the transcript of a trial And one of the episodes that people know about Artemisia is the fact that she was raped by the painter Agostino Tassi when she was 17. And I borrowed the trial uh, transcript for the very first time. It's often referred to, but it's shown here for the very first time in public. And going back to what I said at the beginning, I felt it was really important to sort of obviously touch on this major episode in her life, but to do so sensitively in a historical context. And you really get a sense of her personality and you read the words and you hear her voice. And that's why I wanted this to be in in that room. But this happened when she, you know, very early on in her life. So, you know, she has a long career after this, 40 plus years. Where she works in Rome, in Florence, in Venice, in Naples, and also comes to London. So, so the show really there's another six rooms after this first, you know, room, and and you really, I think, follow in her footsteps. So,
1: Eduardo, while Artemisia was very famous in her day, she later came to be seen as a lesser painting than her father, Orazio Gentileschi, an accomplished painter of his day. Am I right in saying that she has now been reassessed?
3: Yes, I think you're absolutely right to say she's been reassessed. Um, Artemisia was a great painter and she was recognized in her time, slightly forgotten, but I think for today's taste she's fabulous because she has such movement in her art. She absorbed her father's lesson and her father was a great, great master and a wonderful technician, it should be stressed. But perhaps for today's taste, and I say perhaps because I I love Orazio as much as I love Artemisia, his compositions, his paintings are a little still they lack the dynamism which Artemisa was able to bring to her work. It's unfair to compare them in a way because they're from different generations. And of course, Artemisa benefited from learning from Urazio. but she really made Horatio's lesson her own and developed it and add, added so much to the style and, and to her period, I feel.
1: Absolutely. So, Letizia, in the second room of the exhibition, we are confronted with these two brilliant and extraordinarily dynamic, dramatic and dynamic large-scale paintings of Judith and Holofernes. Um,
2: Can you tell us about these two images that are side by side? Sure. So the second room of the exhibition is called Becoming Artemisia in Florence, because after... The rape trial, she moves to Florence. And it's here that she sort of turns a, a huge misfortune in her life into a real opportunity. And she gets out of the studio and really starts to forge her own career path. Um, and it's a it's a term that was coined by Keith Christensen at the Med. And and I think it, it sort of encapsulates the fact that Artemisia finds her own way. And I mean, this is one of the great highlights of the exhibition, having these two pictures side by side. It's the very first time in the UK that we get to see this and These are her most famous, her most iconic compositions. And I'm absolutely thrilled we were able to to, to borrow both because, you know, there's sort of as many differences as there are similarities between them. So she paints the one on the left when she's in Rome still, and that's today in Naples. And she probably brings it or more likely a tracing of it with her to Florence and produces the second larger version um, in Florence, almost certainly for the Grand Duke in Florence, for the Medici Grand Duke. And I mean, what strikes anyone looking at this picture is the sheer violence, the brutality of it. I mean, this is a familiar subject. It's an Old Testament subject where, you know, Judith goes in and beheads the Assyrian general Holofernes to effectively save her city, uh, which is under siege. And um, what Artemisia does is, is she, she's just a brilliant storyteller. And I think in this picture, you see her really stepping into the shoes of her protagonist. So she's she's imagining what it's like for Judith, what it's like for a woman, who has to do this terrible deed, how, and, and it's actually a picture about kind of physical struggle, you know, how would you go about doing this? So she changes the story because the maidservant, who in the story is actually outside the tent, keeping watch, standing by with a bag, ready to, to, to sort of put their booty and, and leg it. Um, what Artemisia does is she brings her inside the tent and she's pinning Holofernes down whilst Judith is sort of, you know, really struggling in cutting off his head. So it's that that, what she does so brilliantly is reimagine the story as a woman and i think it's this real truthfulness that sets artemisia apart i mean then you're sort of absolutely drawn to the gore you're sort of horrified by it, but also weirdly drawn to it and you start noticing the sort of spurts of blood splattering judith's bodice and even her chest on her skin you know and, and the way the hilt of the sword is pressing into the flesh of his his arm i mean it is such a sort of a violent, but very truthful um, imagining of the story.
1: Totally. I mean, when you witness these works in the flesh, they are just so overpowering and triumphant in a way. So having just witnessed Artemisia's range of self-portraits on these different defiant and triumphant guises as well of her, as one of her powerful uh, Judith the Holofernes. In the next room, The Female Hero, we meet further examples of biblical heroines. Letizia, tell
2: us about this room. So this is one of my favorites, because um, The Female Hero is the title that Mary Garrard, or the subtitle, if you like, that Mary Garrard gave to her book in 1989. And Mary Garrard's book is really the first, you know, intentionally sort of feminist interpretation or female interpretation of Artemisia's work. And it's full of incredible insights. And of course, we associate a lot of these pictures in which there are female protagonists with Artemisia. You know, she made her name really painting Susannas, Bathshebas, Cleopatras, Lucretias. So I wanted in a way to dedicate a room to it. And the pictures in this room are all from the 1620s, the time when Artemisia goes back to Rome. And it's considered by some really the kind of height of her career. And I think we have to remember that the subjects are not unusual in 17th century painting. Um, you know, and the patrons and collectors would have stipulated the subjects. They would have gone to Artemis and commissioned them. But they knew that what they got from Artemis is something that no male artist could provide. You know, this was a female perspective, a feminine sensibility in painting these heroines. And this was, you know, a unique selling point that Artemis was fully aware of. And I think we have to remember that that, that there was an additional appeal for collectors. In commissioning and owning works, um, we show partial nudity or violence of women painted by a woman. And, you know, we know that in the 17th century, these pictures were often commissioned, but also displayed together. You know, you would put the Magdalene next to a Venus, you know, in, in a sort of boudoir space almost. Um, you know, the eroticism was not lost on contemporaries.
1: Absolutely. Eduardo, how do you see Artemisia within the context of the 17th century Italian old masters as a whole?
3: Well, she had some stiff competition. Um, There were uh, the first half particularly of the 17th century in Rome, but in Italy uh, more generally, was full of extremely talented artists who had no qualms in, in getting themselves about and finding patrons and competing with each other to produce great things. At the beginning of the century, the inescapable name, of course, is Caravaggio, and Artemisia is often grouped with the Caravagesque painters. Uh, that's a slightly lazy, I think, uh, characterization of her or grouping of her, because while, of course, she takes Caravaggio's lesson, the theatrical potential of his violence and lighting, I think she's one step removed. She's one half generation later, and she's able to focus on some different things. It's not a direct reaction, but it's already part of her culture, this Caravaggesque idiom. So on the one hand, you have Caravaggio and his tenebrism and this shift in focus from courtly subjects to more profane, touching on the vulgar at time subjects, to then other um, artists such as Guido Regni, who is the wonderful Guido, the divino Guido, he was, he was known even in his own lifetime, um, and pictures such as the, uh, the David, which is in Paris, David holding the head of the Goliath. That is an exceptional picture, don't get me wrong. It really is. The beauty, the, the finesse of it is second to none. But in terms of the passion it can inspire or the, the emotion it can inspire, it's quite far removed from, from what Artemisia was interested in. I'm not saying Artemisia is better. They had different interests, but Guido's quite statuesque if you look at this picture, relative to the power and movement that Artemisia strives for. So there are lots of competing currents within Italy in this part of the century, the first half of the 17th century. But another name that springs to mind is Rubens. Now, Rubens is not an Italian artist, but some very important formative years of his, um, right at the beginning of the 17th century, were spent in Italy. Like Artemisia, Rubens is not necessarily interested in precision, It's more about the potential in volume, the bounce and movement that one can achieve with paint. I find uh, Rubens, in much the same way as Artemisia, is very voluptuous in his use of paint. Uh, Voluptuous is is, is often used to describe uh, Rubens as women, but perhaps should be used to describe his paint and his interest in how paint can work. I think Artemisia does something very similar, certainly in an earlier stage in her career.
2: Absolutely. Letizia, why is art and this year so important and popular today? Gosh, I think, I mean, I think really she's incredibly relatable. I think people can relate to her and to her story. I think she's very empowering. You know, I think she's, you know, she's championed now as a sort of figure of resilience and of creativity who faced, you know, extraordinarily challenging odds. But most of all, I think I think you could just—you don't have to be an art historian to appreciate her sort of the full force of her work. But actually, what I wanted to do with the show is just actually visually tell the story, and so you really don't have to read every label, and you don't have to know who Susanna and Judith are to appreciate her art. And I think it's the power of her her sort of pictorial language which really moves people, and I think. You know, when we took our self-portrait at St Catherine round a very unusual tour of the UK, we took the picture uh, to Glasgow Women's Library, to a GP surgery, to a women's prison, and to a school. The picture was seen by people who'd never stepped inside a museum. And what became very clear is that whether you're, you know, a 15-year-old girl or, or an inmate in a prison, you know, you, you have a very personal response to Artemisia, to her story, but also to her art. And I think that's why people, you know, it's Artemisia mania right now. I think she's definitely a woman for, for, for our times. So, Eduardo, I'd love to bring in some contemporary
1: uh, artists. I mean, which contemporary women artists do you feel as closest to Artemisia?
3: Well, I might just preface my answer by saying that um, my knowledge and understanding of contemporary art and artists is limited at best. But Jenny Saville, it struck me that uh, Jenny Saville and Artemisia have many things in common. One of them is the fact that they're both great painters and both great female painters, which is obvious and yet something that is not always touched upon in Jenny Saville's work, that she really can paint, she's mastered the use of paint in the same way I think that Artemisia did. And both of them are, I think, or, or, or to me, very disruptive. Uh, disruptive in, well, Letty uh, and I earlier talked about how uh, Artemisa challenges perceptions and the way she lays things out. Um, traditional subjects are turned on their heads, seen from a different perspective. Now, that has led many to read, probably quite rightly, as a, sort of a proto feminist approach to her work in that she was shifting the male gaze. and. In in other works by um, by Jenny Saville, for example, there was a work we sold here two years ago, which is called Propt. We see a, a very direct and challenging view of, of a woman, of a woman's body. Um, how should we as viewers approach this quite uncompromising, certainly not idealized view of the female form? And again, I thought that was very powerful that it did something that that Artemisia also did, take a standard view of of a subject, turn it on its head, tell the story from a different angle, and here with with this um, self portrait sitting on a chair, Jenny Saville is challenging the the, the centuries-old male gaze. Um, I think there is a suddenly not violence, but an uncomfortableness in the way the fingers dig into the thighs to say, well, what is it we're looking at? How 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 are we looking at it? I think that's a very powerful thing. That's what I mean by by disruptive. I don't think either of them necessarily question themselves to their work, but they invite us to, to challenge what we're looking at.
1: Absolutely. I mean Letizia, do you have any thoughts on
2: Artemisius Cleopatra? Yes, absolutely, because I think what this picture shows is Artemis's understanding of of the female form. And you know, thinking about a sort of male-led narrative, you know, I, this picture is thought by some to be by Oratio of Artemisia. And actually during the trial, um, some witnesses reported that Artemisia used to pose nude for her father, you know, as if this was a very sort of shameful thing to do. And that was assumed for a long time. And I, I'm absolutely adamant, or at least in my view, that this picture is by Artemisia. And it's really her her deep knowledge and intimacy if you like and of the human body i mean she of the female body and she really knows how to paint the female nude everything from sort of the weight of the breast to the sort of swelling stomach and she loves these little creases under the armpits There's, you can see them also in in the magdalene in ecstasy and, and you know you compare her nudes to her fathers and she knows what a woman's body looks like now whether she's painting herself or someone else in the studio we don't know but you know, this is a woman who not only understands what a woman's body looks like, but she knows how women think, you know. And I think this is very true for Artemisia's paintings. I mean, it's interesting that the allegory of painting and Savile's self-portrait invite
1: us to ask questions as well about what it, what makes it the self.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, in terms of the, the, the allegory of painting, um, which is also called a self-portrait as the allegory of painting by Artemisia, uh, which is today in the Royal Collection, I think this is such a brilliant conflation of these two ideas of a kind of allegory, but also of uh, a self-portrait. And you know, so much ink has been spilled about how, to what degree Artemis is showing herself in this picture, both literally and figuratively. And I think actually in some ways it's besides the point. She knew that she could conflate these two traditions because the sort of allegory and personification of painting was by its very nature a woman. And because Artemisia is a female painter, By painting this subject, she's associating herself with the the allegory uh, in a way that no male artist could do. And and the way she puts her, her initials really emphatically in the foreground beneath the painter's palette. I mean, there is no doubt you're meant to think of Artemisia when you see this picture. And for me, it embodies exactly her vision also of what painting is, which is this incredibly physical, energetic act. Here is a woman with her sleeves rolled up. She's ready to kind of launch herself into her next you know, painting, and it always calls to mind, you know, the words she writes to her patron, Don Antonio Rufo, towards the end of her life, where she says, let me show your lordship what a woman can do, you know. And in another letter, she says, you know, with me, you will not lose. You know, she's the sort of winning ticket. You know, I have the spirit of Caesar in the soul of a woman. And she was a really tough, you know, resilient woman.
3: Katie, I'd love to know, you've worked a lot, you've dedicated a lot of your time with your blog, the great women artists, focusing on contemporary female artists has the Artemisa show made you think about uh, in some other contemporary female artists in particular or if so who who have you been thinking about
1: absolutely I mean it's so interesting you know I think like you were saying earlier the fact that you don't even need to be an art historian to witness Artemisia's works so you can just feel them in the flesh anyone can witness them and that's why I'd love to a fantastic opportunity for me to bring in Toyin Oji Odotola, who is a Nigerian-born, New York-based artist who has fit so interestingly alongside Artemisia. Toyin's work is all about storytelling, which, when I was speaking to her the other day for my podcast, really reminded me of Artemisia's incredible ability to tell stories, just like Artemisia engages with classical and biblical tales, but actually goes so far to create her own versions, just like we've seen in Judith and Holofernes. Toyin also engages in these mythic Like stories. However, instead of referencing historical stories, she actually makes them up entirely. She says the mind always comes before the pen, which I love. And I'm sure, you know, the Renaissance artists thought about that before they even started painting. Uh, But she uses this idea of myth to create these extravagant and brilliant, timeless, mythic-like stories that could really have the potential to be told, which makes us question, you know, the past and imagine if history had been Told differently, which I think is what Artemisia is doing. Completely, she's telling historical stories from that feminist perspective.
3: Katie, more and more artists—I don't know—I'm I'm sure you're, you're aware—more and more contemporary artists are uh, framing their exhibitions, their context in a, in, a, in a what might be thought of as an, a more old mastery setting. I'm thinking Cecily Brown at Blenheim. Do you think this works? In what ways can that be successful? Do you feel?
1: It totally does. I mean, recently I went to go and see Cecily Brown at Burden, which is a fantastic show, and also speak for her for my podcast. She adopts entirely from old master paintings. You know, the National Gallery is her and all the Met are her favourite museums in the world. It's not so much about the narrative, but it's about adopting colours from Rubens, Titian, movement from Degas, and also see some of their work sort of purely through abstract colour. Because I think that's what, you know, when you get up close to the Artemisia works, the pure colours, I mean, you mentioned Rubens earlier and when you get up close to them, they are almost like abstract paintings in themselves. I mean, her exhibition at Blenheim is centred around the house, but also hunting and battle scenes, which were, it's obviously, as you know, immensely popular subject in old master painting. I mean, she really brings them to the present day by questioning their role in today's society, uh, which I think is a very clever way of looking at history. And then of course, another obvious comparison uh, with Artemisia has to be the renowned British artist. Tracy Emlin, who, like Artemisia, puts herself and her life at the forefront of her work. I mean, when I entered the Becoming Artemisia room that you so beautifully curated, Letty, at the National Gallery, I was immediately brought back to Tracy's incredible exhibition, A Fortnight of Tears at White Cube last year, and her amazing series of self portraits, in so a way, taken on her phone. Uh, which dealing with insomnia and I've grown up with Tracy's work and understanding her life through her work. And it reminded me that she has this incredible ability to control her image and to control what part of her life she gives us. And I think just like Artemisia, she gives us so much and which brings me back to the room, becoming Artemisia with her array of self-portraits, as it struck me how much Artemisia was in control of her image too. You know, Whether she'd be disguised as St Catherine of Alexandria but also the lute player. You know, she was constantly giving us so much of herself, but doing it in a very sort of controlled way. Thank you so much to our brilliant speakers, Letizia Treves and Eduardo Roberti. And of course, thank you so much to Sotheby's for hosting this fantastic conversation. And thank you all so much for joining us today.
0: This was Sotheby's Talk Season 1. Thank you for joining us to step further into the world of Sotheby's, you can visit any of our galleries around the world. They're open to the public. For more information, visit Sotheby's.com. And don't forget to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Season one, which features conversations with guests, including Marina Bramovic, Mary McCartney, Tracy Emin, Paloma Picasso, and Julianne Moore is now live.